All right, welcome to Old Town New World. We're here at Millstone Pizza in Old Town, Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm Jason Broadwater, and we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Small Town USA. Yeah, okay. Today we got a couple of guests with us. Of course, behind the mic, we, as always, we have behind the mic Silent Micah. Say hello, Micah. Very well said. All right. And we also have with us David Frick of Revenflow. David, welcome. Hello. I am David Frick of Revenflow. Well said. Way to take the cues I'm feeding you. That's, that's excellent. That's excellent. And joining us for the first time today, we have uh, Mr. Vincent. Vincent. You know what? I don't even know your last name, Vincent. Uh, Vincent Izzo. Is that, you know what you told me that a minute ago? I didn't, did. Oh, yeah. how rude of me! I, <laughs> I appreciate you. Uh, you being Vincent is so nice mm. about me forgetting his last name. <laughs> he loves those puns. Yeah. I'm sure, <laughs> he's probably never heard that. You've so never heard original. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what I'm real good at is coming up with original puns for people's names that they've never heard. <laughs> That's like my forte. Um, so anyway, these guys are musicians. And I, you may or may not, I mean, identify yourself as musicians before you identify yourself as anything else. David, how would you respond to that? Uh, oh, I, I definitely consider myself a musician. Uh, musician and composer, I'd probably say both of those together. Uh, Even before developer? Uh, honestly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. That was, I mean, music was honestly the reason I got into development in the first place. I intended to uh, work on audio software and uh, plugins and that kind of thing, and I—I I mean, I still do someday. Uh, it's just uh, there's so much cool stuff you can do with programming that, I mean, why wouldn't you do cool stuff? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, David uh, works with us at Revenflow, and um, is a core part of of who we are at Revenflow, and so he does a ton of development every day, and so it's really fascinating to me, and I think great that you would identify yourself as a musician above a developer even though you spend the majority of your day doing development work. Um, and it's not like you're in some like, you know, job you hate or something and oh, no. you escape to do, you know, so it's interesting, it's fascinating to me. Vincent, uh, would you uh, define yourself first and foremost as a musician? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I do accounting work to feed me. Yeah. Because you have to eat, but I'm not doing accounting because it's necessarily a passion. Music is the passion yeah. first and foremost and always. That's great. That's great. So what instruments do you play? Um, I'm a percussionist. So any, anything that you, you can hit, <laughs> I can play. Gotcha. So that does not include people? No, I can play people too. Okay, you can yeah. play people. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> good. <laughs> okay, um, David, how about you? What instruments do you play? Uh, anything I can get my hands on and afford. Uh, so afford I would... as opposed to a Chevy? Correct. Uh, uh, actually, okay, I, typically I've used a Chevy most in the past. Uh, my two cars have been Chevys, um, and they've both been excellent instruments. But <laughs> So you play uh, strings, uh, percussion, and do you play horns and stuff like that? I, uh, I play didgeridoo. That's the closest I've really gotten to the horn category. Um, most of my instruments, or I think guitar is the one I'm probably the best at and then uh, drums and other percussion and I'm tr trying to work my way into strings like viola, violin, gotcha. that kind of thing. What about piano? Yes, uh, keyboard and piano and synthesizers, anything that makes sound. 
Like the computer, you play the computer. Yes. Yeah. I probably play the computer most. Okay, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so uh, are, you, are you guys currently in bands? Um, I mean, I, I do a lot of classical stuff at my school. I do some jazz at school also. What school is this? Uh, Furman. I go to Furman oh, okay. University in Greenville. Mm-hmm. Um, and David and I are, whenever I come home for the summer, he'll have something for me to do. Okay, so you're studying music at Furman. Yes. I'm a double major with music and accounting. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. One for the passion, one for the money to fuel it. Fuel the passion. <laughs> right. I hear you, man. I hear you. There's nothing like a sense of realism, and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, that's called, you know, that's called sustainability. Yeah. Yeah, knowing how to sustain yourself in this world is an important, important skill. Yeah, I mean, yeah. at least the thing I chose kind of over, there's some overlap there. There's very little overlap with accounting and music, yeah. honestly. Oh, yeah, the, no. the numbers... The number stuff is about it. Oh, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And a musician needs definitely account. needs those skills yeah. um, of managing money. Tight budget. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Definitely learned that this weekend. I would say. Uh, I would say music like. Uh, no. <laughs> Is that why you bought the Tibetan bowl? Yeah, I bought a bowl. I bought a bowl for ninety-five dollars. Would an accountant have bought a bowl for ninety-nine? No, no, only a musician. No, yeah, just the musician. Yeah, right. It's a it's a yin and yang battle right. that you fight all the time. So, um, so at Furman, do you study in particular instruments or? Um, any particular instruments? Well, the the main focus is typically marimba and snare drum when it comes to percussion stuff, because um, that's where you you get most of everything like remember gives you the mallets so you have the four mallet technique and snare drum gives you all the rudimentary stuff with diddles and flams and things like that um and then like off in the side every once in a while you learn like a bass drum thing crash cymbal thing okay like all the all the instruments that are usually just kind of like oh that's a really easy instrument yeah, yeah. um we, we learn how to play that professionally because there's okay. a professional way to play the triangle wow yeah really <clears throat> I did not know that. Yeah, people go crazy. They have like 50 different triangles in their houses and have like specific pieces that they play each of them for. Wow. Are they all shaped like a triangle? Most no. of them. We actually did just find um, this music store that has like, what was it, like a 10-sided triangle? Wow. Because it wrapped around three times. There were actually triangle sets where they had like three triangles in a row and then they had... Finger the, symbols the, on the side. Oh yeah, the finger symbols and the some with bell... Uh, the uh, Wind chimes. Wind chimes. Wow. So yeah. it was... Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I didn't pay $100 for that, though. <laughs> Just the bowl. <laughs> Just the Tibetan bowl. I like it. So, so let me ask you this. You know, as your passion is in uh, music, so much so that you're down into the very, very specific technical uh, application of all these things. I mean, like the diddles and paradiddles and things on a, on a snare drum. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what drives you to go deeper and deeper into this uh, into this world. I mean, does it does the does the mechanical kind of as you get deeper into the mechanics? Does it take away any of the enjoy any of the kind of ignorance, is bliss, enjoyment of music, or does it add layers of enjoyment? Or how does that work? Um, well, I mean, learning the mechanics is kind of a pain sometimes. Like nobody wants to practice; everybody wants to jam. Right. Yeah. I mean, but once you get the mechanics down, it makes it worth it because then you can 
you know, you can screw around just as much, but you can screw around well rather right, than just yeah. screwing around yeah. poorly. <laughs> it's like learning the rules and then break them all day long. Right. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, a lot of great painters are, you know, I mean, you look at some early drawings of some of the painters that we think of as very abstract and like, you look at their early mechanical drawings and it's like they're insanely good drawers, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, before they start just throwing paint against the canvas, you right. know. Yeah, very cool. Can you relate to that, David? Oh, definitely. Uh, I, I think I, I admit I tend to be less on the uh, formal side as, of, as Vincent, uh, and I kind of fight that more often, but I definitely make a controlled effort to not fight it. I have to do a lot of things to discipline myself so that I can, because I know the end result will be better, yeah. and I'll enjoy it more. Um, it's just, I, I tend to be more whimsical about what I want to work on, and uh, especially with songs. I'll start songs, and I'll get pretty far into them, but I'll, I, it takes a lot for me to finish them, and that well, takes discipline. let me discipline. ask you about that, because this has, been a, this has been a thing in my creative journey, too. Like, how much are you focused on the, uh, the thing, the deliverable, the finished song, and it, it is a Frankenstein's monster, and you can lavish in its awesomeness, and how much are you focused on just the beauty of the process of developing that thing? And if it never actually formulates into a wholeness, you just bail and you're happy and it doesn't matter. That's a good question. Uh, it's hard to put numbers on that, but it's, I'd say it's a pretty even mix between those two. Uh, partially, I guess, kind of that selfish artistic drive to show people and, you know, like, this is my work. Here's a thing. Listen to it. Yeah, right. Admire it. Uh, there's there's that aspect, and then there's just the fact that I love to create, and I love working on the music and adding layers and complexities to it. Uh, and the process is definitely a big part of it for me. So uh, both, and somehow just the combination of those two makes it worth it. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. What about you, Vincent? Can you relate to that question? Um, well, I don't compose as much as just play the piece. Okay. Um, but relating it to learning a piece, um, I could definitely say learning a piece is really fun. I mean, it has its ups and downs. Like, you get to a really difficult lick, and you're like, oh, I don't want to learn this. Right. I just want to be able to play it. Um, but learning is just as, as fun as performing it. And in the end, when you finish your performance and everybody's applauding for you, you're like, wow, that was really glad I learned that. That was worth that it, was, yeah. That was definitely yeah. worth it. But if I... If I learned a whole piece only to have a jury listen to it and then never touched it again, learning the piece would not lessen because of that. It would still oh, right, be just as yeah. cool. Okay, very cool, yeah. So where do you perform? Um, Furman gives you a lot of opportunities to perform recitals. Like next year I'm planning in the fall to have my own personal recital. Oh, that's where cool. I'm going to be performing for about an hour. Are you usually in, in some type of symphony or like uh, is it a small group or yeah there's, there's a, a lot of everything like <clears throat> we have our solo stuff um, I'm in a jazz combo where I do the jazz drum set um, we have the orchestra that I'm in every once in a while whenever they need a percussionist because orchestras usually just need a timpani player right. and then that's about it um, and then they have the the band and they, the two different bands the upper and the lower um, and depending on how good I was feeling the audition day I'll get in either one of them. It really is just kind of up in the air. Um, and that, they'll always have something challenging for you, like one of the hardest xylophone pieces I've ever played in my life. I'd played in band. Wow. And it was so much fun. Yeah. It was great. And then we have our own percussion ensemble where we have 13 percussionists all come together and just play. Wow. Well, okay, so 
One great thing about a liberal arts education, a lot of things, great things about liberal arts education. One thing is it allows space and a life early on to explore the humanities and, and see that there's you know more religions than one, there's more cultures than one, there's more. So that's a great thing about a liberal arts education. Another thing is to have the space and time to invest yourself in creative learning processes and stuff like this, like what you're talking about. Like, mm -hmm learning some type of creative process, having the opportunity to show it off, succeed, and all this kind of stuff. And the way I see it, and in, in you look at a lot of the jobs that have been created in the new economy, and you have, I mean, the reason we hired David is because David, it's everything you just described about what you love about music, and that like, you like having a finished thing, but if you don't, I mean, that's okay, because it still is awesome. I mean, that is so why you're successful at Revenflow. Like, your, your ability to dig in, figure it out, learn, create, and in the creation process, create something awesome. And then if the whole project, if the plug is pulled on the whole project, you're like, oh well, what's next? You know what I mean? And that, that whole attitude and process and stuff is such a part of why you're successful in, in what we do. Okay, so you're talking about performing and the different opportunities you've had to perform. Apparently this past weekend, you guys were involved in a, a pretty significant or pretty wonderful performance. And... Uh, this was in Nashville, right? So tell, tell us about this, what you guys did. All right, uh, the piece was called Inuxuit, um, and it was written by John Luther Adams. It's an abstract piece, uh, somewhat, na or it's nature inspired. Um, and the premise is basically there's all kinds of, or it's written for nine to 99 percussionists, and it's- Oh, sorry, nine to 99? Correct. Any, anywhere between nine and 99? It has to be a multiple of nine. Okay. Really? Yes. Oh, well, okay. Uh, and. The, uh, Could it be 10? No. 11? No. Could it be 12? That's be 18. Could it be 13? Yeah. Could it be 14? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hold on. I'll, I'll get there in a minute. Could it be 15? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, Dave. <laughs> uh, for, the, for the Nashville performance, we had 36. Which is a multiple night. Yeah, so there we go. Um, I'm glad I didn't. I'm not, I'm not an accountant, <laughs> but I'll trust you on that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we performed in Cumberland Park and the, we were spread out across the park. Uh, there was actually set coordinates that a couple of them we had to tweak a little bit because they were on hills or in the brush. Um, mine was about four feet from where it was supposed to be, but still pretty close. Uh, the set coordinates based on not somebody walking in the park and saying this is a good spot, but somehow like GPS. Actually, the piece was written with coordinates in mind. Right. GPS coordinates. Well, yeah, specifically like, like it's it's assuming that you're in a circular space okay and then he he gave you a map with the piece and he says here this is where you put your players okay and depending on how many like there's nines in different concentric circles okay so wow okay so we're in a giant park mm -hmm. big it's a pretty big park right is it in it's, downtown it's, yeah okay. it's like right outside okay and it's full of percussionists. And how many percussionists were there? 36. We, yeah, we had 36. 36, okay. Which is a multiple of nine, we've said. Yes. Okay. And everybody's in their specific coordinates, except they might have to move a little bit. Yeah, because the, the park that we were in was ovular rather than circular. So we had a kind of... Oh, yeah, right. So it's having a baby. Right. Yes, right, yeah. that's what that means. Okay. <laughs> good. I'm not good with words or numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... Give this man a letter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know most of the alphabet. I will. I will claim that fame. But um. <clears throat> okay. So keep going. Keep going. Uh, all right. So the piece is 
the, the coolest part, I think, is that the audience can just walk around freely throughout the whole performance. Um, you walk in between percussionists. You can even, like, uh, there's enough empty space in between the parts because there's a lot of rest uh, that you can talk to the performers. Oh, before you, you're turning in. You might get interrupted by a bass drum in the middle of it, but probably not, though. How do you know when it's time for you to, I mean, how do you know when your rest is? Can you hear the other musicians? Or? Um, it, it really depends on where you're break is there's, there's five different sections to the piece and if you're in between sections you have to make sure that you don't get in before your group leader your group leader has to go first because there are group leaders there's yeah there are three groups and each group had a leader and you can see your group leader visually um not always okay so you have to really l learn where he is sonically and it's all uh percussion yes and at the end there are um piccolo players who come in and imitate birds gotcha okay so, a lot of people in a park mm -hmm. playing drums. At, let's say I walk in and I'm ignorant. I walk in, well we know I'm ignorant, but let's say I walk <laughs> into the park and I'm walking along the path and I, and I come across David and he's, I mean, what, what did you have with you, David? Uh, I had eight drums, two of them were bass, or three bass drums and then some toms. And uh, the, we, we actually all started out in the middle uh, with, uh, I had a thunder drum, you had maracas. maracas. It had to be some sort of friction sound <coughs> for okay. our group. And mobile, because you're walking from the middle. Right, so we walk from the middle to our location. And your location, you already have a kit set up of some kind, yes. like a right. drum set up of some kind. Okay. Uh, so, so we all started out in the middle, and slowly the piece built. It was quiet at first, and um, people came in at different times. It was scattered. And then, so as the piece built, the it's written in such a way that it, it progresses and feels kind of like the rise of man. Um, and then at, at its peak, there the drums are like crazy, bad, like and uh, there's sirens and all kinds of calls going on at the same time. Uh, and it's really, it's really cool how everything comes together. Yeah. So are you looking at some type of uh, sheet of paper that's telling you oh, yeah. what to do? It was, it was actually all written out. It, okay. it was very difficult in my opinion. Okay. Uh, and I think, Pretty much all the percussionists can relate to this. Uh, if you play it perfectly, you have to have six arms. <laughs> uh, uh, there's, I mean, uh, Vincent used a four mallet technique, so he can hit four at the same time and then two of his bass drums. So that's so one, rather, one, rather one, one six approach. arms. I just used my. <laughs> you cheated. I cheated. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Right. Okay. So. Instead of cheating, I just kind of. Didn't play all the notes. <laughs> I was, but. Okay, so you all start together, and how many people? When y'all are all together, thirty-six. Oh, thirty-six. Yeah. Okay, well that makes sense. <laughs> we're, back, we're back to thirty-six again. Okay, sorry. That's the magic number. Yeah, right. And, and that's you know that's divisible by nine. Right. It is. Okay. It yeah, is that's indeed. what I. Right. I hear that. I read that on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I read an article internet, about I'll that. I'll tell you. It's a crazy it, thing. Yeah, it's really, yeah. really impressive. <laughs> I just googled that while you were talking. Right. Right. Um, so thirty-six of y'all walk out from the center in. I mean, different directions, yeah. ultimately. Mm -hmm. Kind of like an expanding sphere, mm -hmm. a circle. Mm -hmm. You get your, uh, each coming in at different times as you're walking out, mm -hmm. based on how it's written. And it's supposed to be kind of a gradual, right. upward kind of, mm -hmm. and then you get to your kit. Is there some type of monumental change or shift when everyone gets to their, do they get to it at different times? Or yeah, different the, times? The, this is a cool piece where everybody starts at a different time. Okay. Everybody. Gotcha. Um, and we, we, the group leaders are the, the, the group one group leader goes first, no matter what. And then group one kind of takes turns starting 
Um, and then somewhere near the end of that, the group two leader starts, and then group two starts kind of going until group three completely finishes. <clears throat> and then group one starts their next thing with the group one leader doing that. And then everybody hears it, and they're like, okay, however long it took between when she started and when I started, that's how much longer I have until I should start my next oh, part. Wow. So how long did it take before, like which group were you in, David? I was in group two. So how long did it take before you touched your kit? It's about 15, 15 minutes, minutes or so. From like when you were in the center. Oh yeah, I had to walk really slow. Yeah. Okay. And some people, like since their drum sets were basically in the center, had to like walk in a big circle and come back rather than go straight. How about you? How long did it take for you to start? Um, I think he started for the actual performance. He started um, like two or three minutes before I did. Were you in the same group? Yeah. Okay. We were both in group two. Yep. Okay, and the groups are contained nine. That's why it has to be divisible by nine. Not necessarily. Um, I think the the nine divisibility is because of like <clears throat> the location and how you have like nine people in one circle and then a circle surrounding that with nine more people. Okay. And it makes um, the big thirty-six. Yes, it makes, it makes thirty-six. Yes. Which is and we're back four four of those circles. Yes. And, uh, that's math I don't think we made this part clear. Uh, so we. It does actually have a tempo, but it's an internal tempo, so it's not like everyone is in sync following the set tempo. It's all internalized, and it's meant to be played so that it doesn't all go together, and it's not all perfect. Okay. Um, it would actually probably sound really weird if it was. It would. It would right, yeah. So it's meant to sound chaotic, but so, uh, very much like walking through a city, right. where you have all kinds of independently consistent and predictable sounds coming together to make this chaos, but it... Okay, yeah, so you're tying it back to the theme of the piece. I mean, the rise of the man, I mean, like, when it gets to the Industrial Revolution and all that, it's chaos at mm -hmm. that point. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching the metaphor here, but sure. you, you know what I'm saying, like... Mm -hmm. so that, the, was, that was part, one of the elements that uh, the composer had in mind was li just listening to what's already there. Uh, walking oh, through so a is that part of your performance? Like the if there's a, if a train oh, passes, is actually that actually the best part? There was we were right next to a river, mm -hmm. and uh, there there was <clears throat> horn players. Uh, what, they what they played called? a conch shell. Huh. So imagine what that might sound like. But but there was a boat that had a very similar sound. That it was basically the same sound. It was basically the same sound. And it but louder. started <laughs> before the first person who played the conch shell was supposed to start. Oh, wow. So everybody who heard the, the the boat was like, oh my gosh, we're already there? I'm not I'm not ready yet. Right, yeah. And then we noticed that it was the boat, the boat. and then false alarm. Well, good, yeah, so mm -hmm. Nate, so the surroundings got involved in the piece. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, supposed, that's probably what the composer imagined. Yeah, that. and in, in, the, uh, in his uh, official recording for it, they, they did their performance in the middle of a, a forest and the first like 10 minutes of it, all you can hear is birds. Wow. Like actual birds. Yeah. You, you don't hear any of the players playing for the first at least minute. Wow. Very cool. So there are recordings of this. Mm -hmm. You just referenced one. Yes. Did y'all um, listen to them before you went and had this experience? Um, I knew I knew the piece beforehand. I've played it before. Um, oh, so really? I, where I did listened you play to it before? Furman. That's where I got oh. introduced. Okay. To how it worked. So is this a thing that happens around the country, kind of thing? Yeah, it's it's blowing up. Um, John Luther Adams, as a composer, wasn't too well known, 
Um, and then he wrote this, and all of a sudden everybody's like, this is the coolest piece ever, we need to write it. And now everybody's listening to his other s stuff, and he's starting to become a really big composer. Is he still alive today? Yes. Okay, so he's a contemporary. Yes. They, they performed sometime last year with the composer in residence. Oh, wow. So he, he's showing he up to some of them. Did he play, or he just... I think he just listened. Yeah. Because, I mean, at that point, I mean, the piece is meant to be listened to yeah. rather than performed. Yeah, like, the guy cool. who put the thing together at Nashville decided to not play because he just wanted to hear it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that would be quite the achievement, I would think, from his perspective. Was it a dude? Mm -hmm. From his perspective that he brought all these people together to make this happening. Mm -hmm. And being able to kick back and just experience it, I bet that was quite a rewarding experience mm -hmm. for him. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he also brought with him what he referred to as a rain curse. Uh, so, uh, earlier in the day, we got sunburns practicing, and then luckily the rain came down and made us feel much better with our sunburns. Right, but it did not make the, feel, the drums feel better. The yeah. drums, drums were not very happy with that. Yeah, drums don't <laughs> like rain or sunburn. Yeah, not very much. Well, that, that, is, that is a very cool thing. I mean, so here you, uh, you guys drove in separate cars. Yeah, there's no way we were going to fit two people in 16 drums. Each full of drums. Yeah. You, um... You took the money that you make at your jobs. And spent all of it. <laughs> you poured it into the uh, engines of these mobiles. And the bowl. And, yeah, oh, and the Tibetan bowl. Couple music stores. I had, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I had to get some hardware to mount the drums and I bought some other things while I was out. Filled, so. filled these mobiles full of drums, drove in separate cars all the way to Nashville. Mm -hmm. Took about eight hours, I imagine. Something like that. Yeah, Plus we took breaks, a couple stops along yeah, the way. So. Which is the way to do it. Yep. I totally endorse that. Uh, you were there for a couple days. Came and drove eight hours back. Yep. And we actually uh, we were uh, invited to stay with one of the percussionists that was performing with us, which was awesome. We didn't have to pay for a hotel or anything. Uh, it w they were very welcoming. Every It was an gr awesome group of people. That's great, man. You know, I think it's great that you... Uh, that you would take your time, your energy, your money, and uh, put it into just uh, going to have this experience and just calling it done, you know? I think that's that great. That was well worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, um, are you, do you live in Rock Hill, Vincent? I live in Fort Mill, so basically. Mill. Are you from this area? Um, no, I was, I was born <coughs> in... Um... Bless you behind the mic, Micah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was I was born in New York. Hold on, hold on a second. Well said, Micah. Well said. <laughs> All right, sorry. You were born in what part of New York? Um, I was born in Babylon, and I was wow. I, I lived Is this in the Matrix. <laughs> yes, right. Um, and I lived in somewhere in Long Island for the first three years of my life. Is there really a place in New York called Babylon? Yes. Does that make you Babylonian? Yes, I'm Babylonian. You are Babylonian. <laughs> I, I am a. Babylonian. That's wow. that's me. <laughs> I did not know that. Okay, so you were born in Babylon, and then what? I'm sorry. I uh, lived in uh, Long Island. Long Island. For, I mean, people always ask me which part of Long Island, and I never really know because I was only there for three years. Okay. Um, and then my parents had a mutual friend who moved down to Fort Mill, and when they came to visit, they liked it so much that they also moved down. Oh wow. Um, so I've been there since right before my fourth birthday. And oh, okay. I'm wow. 21 now, so it's been. Uh, Vincent and I went to school together. We. Uh, we were in concert or in a band uh, for one year, and then I graduated. Uh, so that's how we met in the first place. And then Benson invited me to participate in this event. Oh, okay, very cool, very cool. So, um, 
are you um, thinking that you're gonna get out of this area as quick as you can or you find huh? anything worthwhile in this region or? I mean I'm, I'm in no rush if I find something that I can make a living on here then I'll go for it um, but if I find somewhere elsewhere I, I wouldn't really hesitate to leave either so you're uh, right now you are pursuing uh, the activity that would be most uh, energetic most uh, rewarding to you like for example if you could play music for a living then mm -hmm. you'd move anywhere Right, yeah, I mean, and if if I end up making it in the music industry, then nothing would really stop me from going anywhere. Yeah, in the world. Anywhere, yeah, seriously, yeah. I mean, the the percussion is such an old thing. Because world percussion is huge. Yeah, world, yeah, I mean, I just, like, on the trip, I bought a, more money thing, I bought <laughs> a, a Brazilian tambourine. Wow. Specifically for Brazilians and I have a, a friend who's who's from Brazil and um, he's he's there right now and I just sent him a message I was like I just got this 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 tambourine and he was like oh I'm learning how to play that too right now maybe I can give you some pointers and oh wow so I mean anywhere I end up I mean I could absolutely go yeah. for it I think that's great so I think uh, you know I'll, I'll be interested to see how it plays out because I think that um you know, people people fluctuate in their lives. What I've seen, at least, between like, you know, it's it's the activity I want to do. The world doesn't matter. Location doesn't matter. Versus, location is has me for a reason, whatever that reason might be, and I'm choosing to be here. Not not that I'm surrendering myself or anything, but I'm choosing to be here for a reason in this location, and so therefore. How do I make the activities be uh, what I want them to be within this location? You know, like, you know, for example, marriage, children, things like that can make location be a powerful thing when you have a negotiation between other people, and you can't just like up and leave unless the wife wants to up and leave too. <laughs> you right, know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so so it's interesting. Like, the the space you have where the freedom is just simply your own body, mm -hmm. where where that body lands on the globe. So so it's solely driven by the action and then and then there starts to be a um, transference of the importance of place starts to come into the equation you know? mm -hmm. and I think it's interesting as a musician as someone who studies culture and sounds and things like that I think you have more I mean I, I'm, I'm being judgmental here but I would say you have probably more of an awareness of like the beauty of different cultures and places because you study their art forms mm -hmm. I mean I, is that Fair. I mean, do you study different cultures, sounds, and uh... um, most most musicians at Fairman probably don't study don't? culture as much. Um, but I definitely make sure to do it because everything is. Um, we we took maybe one world music class. Okay. And that's it for most people. Most people are like that was a dumb class. I don't like it. But so you're down in the technique, and you're not necessarily thinking about music as a. I mean, not you personally, but right. Study wise, you're not thinking of music as a cultural expression, and then, and then exploring those cultures as far as that expression. Yeah, a, a lot of people don't. Um, God, that's disappointing to yeah, me, man. It's, I was, it's, boy, I was all like propping <laughs> you up, thinking like, yeah, you're ready. How great. Yeah, everybody you know? does it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I definitely focus on it because it's. You it's definitely a, prop him up. <laughs> I know from experience, he is a. He is. A very cool guy, very cultured guy, yeah. especially when it comes to music. And that, I mean, mm -hmm. so even if he part is, of the yeah, right, yeah. Oh. I mean, and eth ethnomusicology is a field. Right. Like there are people but, but out like there who study it. It's a specific small group of people that actually study that. Like it's a minimized field, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's not, not not too many people I would, do it. I would hope that it, I hope my hope 
is that it becomes more of the majority of the perspective of way you approach music. Like in other words, you know, when you're learning some type of paradiddle thing, you're learning that it is Brazilian in culture or whatever, and I'm butchering this, but, <laughs> and therefore you learn the culture around it and why, it, what it means that it's part of the fabric of that yeah, culture. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's definitely an important thing that people underappreciate because, I mean, even our, our pop music in America has some sort of ties with other places, like yeah. um, dotted quarter note was definitely an African rhythm. That was a thing that Africans do all the time, and that is the only rhythm you will ever hear in a pop song. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. And it's all over the place, and I mean, there are these like subtle, like cultural, like fusions that nobody knows about because nobody. See, that to me is attention. fascinating. That to me is a higher level of uh, appreciating what music's all about. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's the passion of like, I mean, I can close my eyes and play the guitar and be otherworldly, and that's a, a great value. of amazing value but I think that you know that what, what did you call it in terms of academic study the ethnocultural ethnomusicology ethnomusicology I think that needs to be more mm-hmm. prevalent in music studies I yeah. would think and it was a pretty recent thing like it started with Bela Bartok and he wasn't too far away in history huh really yeah wow god I just naively assumed that was like a core part of it definitely should be yeah, that absolutely. should be first grade stuff, honestly. Yeah, yeah. dude, I, mean, I think that's great. I mean, especially with like South um, South Asian music, the like we like to think of ourselves as we have the most intelligent, thought back music, but Indian music is far more complex than American music, like, right. it, by by far. Like, well, the, their guitar has more strings. That's yeah. <laughs> I yeah, can I mean, count that's, strings. That's, that's one of the things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Drum sets have fewer drums though. Yeah, they only have yeah. they yeah. typically only have two. <laughs> well, I would say that uh, the curse of the bad Western drummer is right. is more drums. I agree, yeah. uh, if I they, agree that with that from experience. Yeah, if they <laughs> have, one of yeah, guys. right. I'm the guy that wants to get all the drums, right. and it, it, I know it hurts. Yeah. But it has to be divisible by nine. Yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> and then you just there's this one drum you hadn't hit in like a year. You keep trying to find the opportunity. To hit. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. Thank you, Laven. Um. Okay, well, guys, it has been a pleasure to have you on. Um, David, of course, you know, we hang out every day at Rev and Flow, and your work there is exceptional. And uh, I'm always proud of your, your musical exploration. I think it's a part of who you are, and it's, what, it's partially what makes you such a value to our organization. It's the same thinking. It's the same perspective. You know, it's the same willingness and energy. Um, and Vincent, we met today. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I appreciate meeting you, and I, I, I wish you the best at Furman and uh, beyond. So hopefully you will uh, explore the world based on your drive for activity, and then you will discover the beauty of place, and then you will remember the beauty of this place, mm-hmm. and then you will be back. Yeah. So thanks for being on. Thank you. All right, David, thank you. Thank you.